Hey everybody, we just wanted to get an idea of what people think about God, so we're out in our city and we're going to see what they say. What do you think that God is like? I don't think it's a gender conforming thing. Okay. Um, it's a powerful force. I believe it's a form of energy of the universe and the good things that we do, that is God. God is everything. He's total for me. I don't know, probably it's big. Yeah, it's smart. What do you think God thinks about you? Uh, I think God thinks I'm like an average human being. He just sees everyone the same. So I guess like I fit into his like, oh, you're fine in my eyes. I don't think God spends time thinking about me. He or she's kind of above thought. So I, I really can't say because if he created us, then you know, he must love us regardless. What do you think God is like? I don't really spend a whole lot of time thinking about God. God is a powerful white light that is uncomprehensible. I don't know. Uh, I couldn't answer that one in 10 seconds, man. God is love. That's it. Welcome back, Nexus Church Family Online, to our series we've titled Real Jesus. In this very short series, we're examining that Jesus is more than a good friend. He's more than traditional. He's more than, as we'll find out today, a good teacher or just a good example to follow. And now, like last week's topic or whenever you listen to the first message in this series, this issue of seeing Jesus as just a, a good guy like Socrates or Aristotle or whoever you esteem as some expert and really good guy that did good things and cared about others. Jesus is just a, a good person, a good teacher. We see this in so many different areas, whether it's in the, the academic world or in religion as a whole, Jesus is just seen as a normal person. But the thing is, is either Jesus is who he claimed to be, or he was, in fact, kind of a lunatic or heretical, right? Like, th there's really nothing in between. The claims Jesus made were profound and very distinctive to what he claimed to be. And as we'll find out today, Jesus is more than your best friend. He is, in fact, Savior and Lord. It is what was proclaimed about him as the world was anticipating his arrival. And it's what he proclaimed about himself. And it's what others proclaimed about him afterwards. So if we believe that the word of God is indeed the word of God. Jesus is more than a best friend. He is your savior and Lord. And today, as if you're watching this live, it is Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, the day when Jesus rose from the grave and conquered sin, death, and the effects of that over us for all of eternity. He is risen. And so today we want to just kind of, it, it, it's, in a way, it's, it's really just taking on the Holy Week as a, as a whole 
and really paring it down to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And we want to begin with what was predicted about Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, there's a lot that was predicted, and I shaved off a ton of Bible passages today just to get down to one. The one that is like the foundation to the proclamation of Jesus. And that is found in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, all the way through 53, verse 12. This is the proclamation before Jesus was ever roaming the earth, before his parents ever roamed the earth, hundreds of years before Jesus ever was even mentioned. We read of him in the prophets of Isaiah's book. And here is the passage today. It says, see, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. This is talking about Jesus, right? Predicting what would happen to him in the moments leading up to his death. His appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. His form did not resemble a human being. So he was sprinkled. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For they will see what had not been told them. And they will understand what they had not heard. Like, this is going to be proclaimed beyond just that elite few who were in Jerusalem at the time. This is going to be pronounced all over the world. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like the root of dry ground. He didn't have any impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should des desire him. He was an ordinary person just like you and me. He grew up in a town just like you and I. He was a normal person who probably got chastised by his parents for being a kid. He grew up learning and growing and developing as a man. He was just a normal person. But then, later in life, he was despised and rejected by men. A man who was suffering who knew what sickness was. He experienced sickness. He experienced rejection. He experienced pain. He experienced loss of loved ones. Loss of friendships. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. If you're listening today and you feel rejected by parents, by siblings, spouses, a job, the world. Many people have experienced the loss of significant others in the past few years. Jesus understood because he was despised by all people. Even those who were closest to him, the disciples, those who he poured himself into for three years, Every single one of them ran in the garden. In his most needy moments when they should have been so close to him that they would never leave him, 
they did out of fear. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all, you and I, we went astray like sheep. If you know sheep, sheep are stupid. They just like immediately, the moment they see freedom, they run. They don't think about safety. They don't think about what's good for them. They don't think that, man, this person probably knows better than I do. I'm going to stick by their side. No, they run. We all have ran from God like a sheep. We all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Jesus was a normal person. And according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, he lived a perfect life. But he was rejected. He wasn't valued. He took the punishment of us on himself. And as, a, as we read in verse 12, he bore the sins of many, and he continuously makes intercessions for us to the Father so that when the Father looks at us, he only sees the Son. Jesus is our Savior. In, in, in just the basic term of Savior is the one who saves, who takes his hand and snatches us up and removes us from all harm. Anything that could, that could take us and ruin us, separate us from the Father for all times. Jesus comes and swoops in and he saves us. But yet maybe you're thinking right now, how can anyone take away sins? I, it's, it's a hard concept to understand. Because the Bible makes very clear in Romans 3.23 that we all sin. We all fall short. We, we, there, it's in us to sin. It's in us to do wrong. Whether we know it or not, every day that we wake up and live, we fall short. So how could one take away our sins? Even if... Jesus was perfect as the Bible claims him. So in order to be in God's presence, we have to be perfect. That's, that's what the Old Testament is all about, about God's holiness, about his perfection and how he absolutely demands people to be perfect. How can we, fallen people, become right with him by one person? It doesn't make sense. I can understand that Jesus was perfect, that he came from God and came to earth in human form. It is miraculous, but how does, how does that make us right with God? How can he do that? Well, I want to read for you Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18, and then just unpack that for a moment, because this is, in and of itself, one of the most powerful scriptures in all, in all of the Bible. It links the Old Testament, what God demanded of his people, and it linked Jesus to how we can now be right with the Father. Listen to this. Since the law has only made a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers 
by the same sacrifice they continually offer year after year. Goes on to say, otherwise wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once for all would no longer have to be have any consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifices, there's a remainder of sin year after year, a reminder. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Right? It, it puts a temporary band-aid over us. And so every year we have to offer it. But every year we come falling short again. And ultimately, it cannot make us right with God. It puts a band-aid over us. But once that band-aid falls off, it reveals once again how fallen we are. And so we, we can't do anything right. We, we fall short. But then, listen to this. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, this is, of course, referring to Jesus, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scrolls. I have come to do your will, O God. After he says above, you did not desire to delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. You see, he, the, the author of Hebrews here is, is given a summary of what Jesus did when he proclaimed that. He put away the first. He put the rest, the Old Testament ways of us being right with God. And then he establishes what was about to come. And listen to how the writer of Hebrews puts it. By, the, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifice time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made a footstool for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after this, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Jesus lived a perfect life. And because of that, he as that perfect sacrifice, something that a spotless lamb could never do. He lived that perfect life, and he gave himself willingly. He gave himself willingly so that all who would believe and confess in him, whoever would make him their Lord and Savior, could have the blood of himself poured over them. And so when Jesus was up there on the cross, and we read this in Matthew 27, verse 46, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the first time in his life where the Father could not look at him because he took our sin, and the Father saw him with our sins on him. 
But when he rose from the grave, he conquered those sins. He brought those sins upon himself, but he rose from the grave. He conquered those sins, and he was welcomed back into the Father's presence because he was perfect. He could do that. It doesn't make sense to our mortal minds, but in the supernatural sense, this was the way that would make us right with God. He saved us by taking our sins, living a perfect life, taking our sins, and raising from the grave, conquering them forever. We are saved. He is our Savior. I love how Ezra Benson put it. He said, how one could bear the sins for all is beyond the comprehension of mortal man. And today, if that's where you're at, it just doesn't make sense. I encourage you to seek God about this. It doesn't make sense. We cannot comprehend this kind of thinking. It is a supernatural act of God that we must believe by faith. In the end, what you believe comes down to faith. Whether you believe in God, whether you believe in Jesus, whether, whether you believe in some other form of religion or non-religion, anti-religion. At some point, you will get pushed to the point where it's beyond your comprehension to truly know if it's true or not. And you have to take it by faith. Will you take the Bible's claims of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you by faith, it begins there. Salvation through faith by grace, as Paul said in Ephesians. But here's the thing today. Jesus is more than a good teacher. He is more than a... <laughs> a good moral example. He is more also than a savior. Wait on. Wait on this one. He is also Lord. The first step is to believe who he is, accept who he is, and believe in faith that Jesus is God. But then we have to make him not only our Savior, but our Lord. Because Jesus is more than just a Savior. He is the supreme ruler of the world. That is what Lord means. If you look at Lord in the Greek, it's kurios, which means master, owner, or supreme authority. He is ruler of all the world. <laughs> Let me break this down to you. John Bevere put it perfectly. He said, the word Lord declares the position, declares the position he holds in our life, whereas Savior describes the work he's done for us, right? He's, a Savior means he's saved us. The work he did on the cross and conquering the grave, that's the work he's done for us. He has saved us. But the Lord is the position he holds. He goes on to say, we cannot partake of the benefits of his work, his saviorness, unless we come under his position as Lord and King. So he saves us. He saves us as our Lord and King. 
supreme ruler. Now, this kind of flies in, in, in contradiction to what we've come to know of God in the Western world predominantly. When we, when we make proclamations about verses like a very popular one is Romans 10.9, where we read, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a very popular verse. But what many times happens in our world we live in is this easy believism that we put Jesus as Savior. So instead of if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, really what we're saying, if you, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Savior, the one who saves, you will be saved. And that's not what the verse is saying. It's not saying that if you just believe in Jesus, believe that he came to earth, believe that he is, in fact, the one who took my sin and covered me with his blood and washed me clean so I can be in the Father's presence. It's more than that. He is supreme ruler. When we say yes to Jesus, we make him the one in charge of our lives. We put him as the one who decides what we say, what we do, where we go, how we live. It's, it's a tough call, isn't it? If I believe and confess that Jesus is Savior, it's going to take away my sins. That's easy to believe. So then all we have to do is just make him Savior and keep living our life. And we're good. Because we did what we needed to do. There's so much more than that. It must be supreme ruler. Life. Listen to how Philippians 2, 7, and 11 says. He says, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, coming to earth, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is where it gets good. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every knee will bow. Whether you make him your savior and Lord or not, at some point in your existence, because you're going to live for all of eternity, whether you believe it or not, you're going to live for all of eternity. And whether you bow your knee to him in submission today and make him your savior and Lord today, you will someday bow down to him as Lord. The only difference is, will you be bowing down to him as Lord in his presence or separated from him for all eternity? As he says to you, depart from me, I never knew you. That's what the Bible says for those who reject him on earth. He will deny you. I didn't know you. You had the opportunity. You chose not to. Keith Green, a singer at one point, stated it this way. So that's what lordship is. Christ reigning as supreme authority over our life. Making Jesus Lord of our life is not something passive. It's not a state of being. It's a state of doing. We must intentionally, what he's saying here, we must intentionally put him in authority of our life. 
So I don't know about you. This could be just me, but I have a hunch. <laughs> Pretty much every human on earth has a difficult time removing themselves from the, the lordship chair of their life, from the pedestal of their life. We all worship ourselves. That's what we do as humans. It's pride. It's in us. It's part of the fall. We want to be the Lord of our life. And what Keith was saying here is that it is something that we have to intentionally do every day. Making him Lord, it's not just about being. It's about intentionally doing every day. Every day. Don't wait until your day of meeting him face to face to make him Lord of your life. Because then it's too late. Today is your day. As we close today, I want to read to you a passage that I found so profound when I was studying. This comes to the end of Jesus' time with his disciples when he's sitting with them. We call it the Lord's Supper. And it truly was a supper. It was his final supper with his disciples. Something that we traditionally would be reading in the later part of the week of the Easter week. Or the Holy Week, if you want to call it that. And him and his disciples are hanging around, talking about his departure that night. And as they're eating, in verse 21 of Matthew 26, he said to them, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Now all of them ran. All of them denied him at some level, like, which in itself is, I can't even imagine the feeling. I mean, we can because we've been denied friendships, we've been rejected before, but I don't know if we've ever experienced something this deep. One of you will, will not just deny me, separate from me, like divorce me. But one of you will actually deeply betray me. Sell me for money. Set me up to be murdered. Deeply distressed, like, yeah. Each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. Notice they said, Lord. He replied, the one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Judas, his betrayer, replied, surely not I, Rabbi. Notice he said, Rabbi. Good teacher. Surely not I, good teacher. See, when it comes right down to it, if you don't make Jesus your Lord and believe it with all of your being and daily put him up on the pedestal in your life, in your heart, in your mind, 
in your ears, in your eyes, in your mouth. If you don't make him supreme ruler, you will deny him. He is more than a good teacher. He is more than a great example to follow. He is more than a savior. He is Lord. And today is my prayer. That you just don't make him a good teacher, a good example to follow, or even just your savior. But you'll make him your Lord. And for those who might be like, that is, I'm not there. I just, first step first, you need to believe in your heart that he is who he said he is. You have to take the word of God by faith that he was God who lived a perfect life, who came and died a perfect, perfect person and was raised up sinless, conquering death, conquering the effects of death, separation from God for all eternity. You've got to believe that. So my prayer is that you get that first. And that when you get that, then you will believe with all of your heart that you will make him the Lord of your life. And I love how Oswald Chambers put it. I pray that this would just resonate in your heart today and that you would dwell on this. He said, no man has ever gone through the crisis. Notice that. The crisis of deliberately making Jesus Lord and found him to be a failure. It's a crisis. So if you're struggling with that today, if it's hard for you to truly believe what God's word says and it just doesn't make sense, I'll remind you again, everything in this world, when it comes down to the foundation of it all, you have to believe by faith that it's true. Everything. Everything. It takes faith to believe. Even if you don't believe in anything, it takes faith to believe that. So I'm encouraging you. You're in a crisis right now. Do I want to believe this? Say yes. If you're in a crisis today, you're like, man, I'll, I'll believe Jesus was who he says he was, that he came to earth, he came to cover my sins, he came to do everything that the Bible says, but taking myself off the throne and putting him on there, I'm not ready for that. I want to point you both back to the reality that there is not a single person who has made him Savior and Lord of their life has ever found him be a failure. He will follow through. And even if your world doesn't change, even if you still struggle and all these things are reality for you, understand, ultimately, when your day comes and you meet him face to face, you will know for certain he was not a failure. He was not a failure. Father, I pray right now for every person listening, watching, following along, live. I pray, Jesus, you will open up their eyes, open up their ears, open up their heart to the reality that you are both Savior and Lord God. Touch them now so that they can see with fresh eyes and that they will believe with their hearts and they will know that you are Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name.
thank you for joining us today. And I encourage you, if you have questions or if you made Jesus your Savior and Lord today, please reach out. Contact us on our website at nexuschurchmn.com or reach out to us at nexuschurchmn at gmail.com and let us know. Reach out to us on our social media platforms. Let us know how we can come alongside you or let us know about your decision and let us help you as you take that walk with Jesus in your life. We want to encourage you. We want to help you grow and understand God's amazing love for you and his plans for you, how he's called you to greatness. See you again. Real soon.